In the following episode, I forget to turn my Bluetooth off, which wrecks the sound quality. It's hard to listen to. So my suggestion is don't. Don't bother. Uh, But I'll leave it there for me, because, you know, in 20 years' time, maybe I'll want to listen back to this. But it's here for me only, it's not here for you. Actually, the whole podcast is here for me only, it's not for you. Don't bother. And then they come on the guest program and they say, go for it. I'm up for it. I love that, actually, in people. You know, and I don't care whether you love them or hate them. You know, um, I don't care if I love them or hate them. I, I like people who... Um, front up, who are willing to front up, and have got that um, bit of uh, mongrel in them, uh, where they, they're in their agent, they say, put me on that program, I want that guy to hit me as hard as he can, you know, I want to go five rounds with this guy, and, and I'm willing to take the risk. Now, I don't even care if I hate the person who's come on to hard talk, just the fact that that person has agreed to go on a on hard talk has got my vote, even if I hate his guts. So I like that program. Right, who was on there? Another thing I half heard last night was a segment of Hard Talk by Stephen, what's his name, on BBC World Service, I like him. Uh, he puts hard questions to people. Um, you know, and they agree to field them. Yeah, that's the name of that game. You know, to ask the questions that ordinarily people are a bit um, hesitant to ask, you know, because uh, you know, people are, uh, there's different levels of diplomacy in media interviewing. Um, and in ordinary media interviewing, you've got to go a little bit softly can't attack, 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 you know what I mean? But unless, unless you create a an interview program that is upfront about being about that, about attacking. Listen, anybody, does anybody dare come onto this program to be attacked? You know, we have a hard, a hard attacking journalist here and he wants to attack everybody who comes on Anybody got the guts, you know? And um, and it turns out a lot of people can't resist or don't want to resist. You, know? you can get a lot of credibility by agreeing to go on that interview program. The opposite of going on that program is, you know, for example, being a, um, a, a, a conservative in America, going on, is it Fox News? And being interviewed on there, you're going to get a nice soft interview going to get that sort of interview where the interviewer seems to like you, you know, and laughs gaily at the little things you're saying, and you can just hear the happiness in the person's voice, the interviewer, um, yeah, but if you're a conservative going on, um, what's the other one in American politics, the, the other media outlet, um, I can't remember, um, CNN, that's the other side, you know, the progressive side, the anti-conservative side, sorry, what in America they call liberal, 
in Australia, liberal is sort of more associated with conservative politics here in Australia. It's very confusing. The word liberal is very confusing when you cross the Pacific over to America. And suddenly the word liberal means everything progressive, you know. But here, in my head, the word liberal has always been everything sort of vaguely conservative, you know. Um, but, um, anyway, so if, a, um, if Donald Trump, for example, went on to, let's, let's say Donald Trump came over here and was um, interviewed on our ABC Q&A program, which is left-leaning, um, the, if he, whatever little jokes he tried to say or whatever, uh, or whatever comments he made, there'd be scoffs and <laughs> and sarcastic little laughs and everything from the audience and even the interviewing panel. You know, it's kind of, you get kind of different treatment. You know what I mean? Okay, so forget about it. You know, forget about Donald Trump. Um, you know, if you're a, a, a liberal politician here in Australia, which means a conservative politician, um, and you come onto Q&A, you're going to, Gonna get the, you're going to feel the coldness, you know. Uh, you, you'll make a comment about this and you'll make a comment about that. And um, and, and when the camera pans to the audience, um, the faces will all be hard, you know. Grim, grim, you know. And um, when the panel asks, you know, queries you on something you've just said, you know, there'll be hardness in the voice. Tends to be, it's a tendency, you know, it won't be every time. You'll, you know, you might be one of those social media people and you'll trawl through QA episodes and find, um, uh, you'll find an example where um, the host of a QA program smiles warmly at a conservative politician and, you know, and, and then you'll put that on your little Twitter and you'll say, ha, look, I found an example. That goes against what you're saying, Charlie. So that sees your argument off, Charlie. And I say, no, it doesn't. <laughs> For two reasons. Number one, I, I'm not on Twitter, so I missed your post. <laughs> um, and number two, um, and number two, because I didn't see it off anyway. You know, so I just said it's a tendency. Um, okay. You know, the same goes in reverse. Um, now, who is it? It's Alan Jones. Um, he, he might interview a left-wing politician from the Labour government, let's say, and you can just tell, you can tell that Alan Jones simply doesn't like that person. Yeah. Whereas if he has Pauline Hanson on his show, you can tell that there's just a camaraderie, you know. He just likes her, you know. Um, and, um, but if he gets a uh, Labour politician on, you know, um, you can tell he just doesn't like it. What was I talking about in this episode? I've actually really forgotten. Um, 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 um. What was it? You probably know yourself, you know, but I've lost track. I got onto all of that. Um, I'll waste your time while I work it out. Uh, oh, yes! <laughs> um, hardy talk. Okay, so now. This is a, um, the BBC World Service Hard Talk segment is a take no prisoners um, segment that seems to me to be neither left nor right leaning. So it's a bit different than 
what you would call the hard talk on Q&A. The hard talk on Q&A is soft talk if you're left-leaning. It's only hard, it's hard talk only if you're right-leaning, you know. Now, um, that's why, you know, um, that's why our ABC strikes me as a bucket full of crap. <laughs> I was going to say something worse then. Um, uh, now, uh, so, um, the BBC World Service does it, you know, I've never detected that um, Stephen, what's his name, from the BBC World Service is left or right leaning. Everybody who comes on to this um, program uh, knows the deal before they come on and uh, that they're going to get a grilling, you know, and he's going to attack them, um, you know, for holes in their, in their politics or their approach or their social leanings or whatever, you know, he's going to go for them, so, now you would think, why would anyone go on that well, the funny thing is if you survive um, if you survive that um, your credibility goes up you know, so, you don't get much credibility uh, getting interviewed by someone who loves you, you know who wants to ask the soft questions you know, who doesn't want to ask the hard questions, the way to the road to credibility, and to a certain extent, um, I think um, uh, that uh, anybody going on there, you know, you should be grateful to be attacked, you know, because you get some extra credibility. You can't get credit. He is offering something to you by attacking you. You know, Stephen, what's his name, is offering a gift to you that someone who loves you can't give you. He's offering to attack you. And if you survive that attack, um, you're gonna get some major credibility. And that's why he has uh, no shortage of people lining up to be on his show. And I've, um, I've been amazed at some of the people he's had on. Um, people who um, would ordinarily, you would think would avoid a grilling. You know, people who um, are always on the defensive from ordinary media and then they come on his program and they say go for it I'm up for it I love that actually in people you know and I don't care whether you love them or hate them you know um, I don't care if I love them or hate them I, I like people who um, front up who are willing to front up and have got that um, bit of uh, mongrel in them uh, where they, they're in their age and they say, put me on that program. I want that guy to hit me as hard as he can. You know, I want to go five rounds with this guy and, I'll, and, and I'm willing to take the risk. You know, I don't even care if I hate the person who's come on to hard talk. Just the fact that that person has agreed to go on to hard talk, he's got my vote, even if I hate his guts. So I like that program. Right, who was on there? Um, some lawyer. Now, unfortunately, I've forgotten his name. He was Jewish. Yeah. Um, Alan, someone. Now, you might be able to work out who he was, just from the context. Yeah. Um, Alan Zewazewski or something, you know, Zewazewski or something. I don't know. Whatever his name is, you work it out from what I'm about to say. Okay. And I don't even know if his name was Alan. I think it was Alan. Um, and uh, this lawyer, uh, he, he comes from a, a working class slash poor background in Brooklyn, in New York, and uh, 
his mum sent him to law school hoping that he would be able to do local legal stuff like, you know, car accidents, things like that, you know. Um, and he ended up, he sounds like he's ended up the most um, exciting um, lawyer in America, you know. Now, what sort of lawyer is he? Well, he is a brutal, shiny, um, virtuous kind of lawyer. You know, he sticks to process and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, he's a process-driven lawyer. He, um, he has an idea of what the law is all about. Um, a little bit like I have... Excuse me, just a sec. Um, a, a little bit like I am with my arguing techniques. You know, you put compassion and caring and humanity and everything at the door. Uh, you leave that at the door when you walk in. And you argue a case on its merits, you know. And he's got this very brutal, virtuous, um, shines like justice approach to the law. Um, and I found him fascinating to listen to. It's not necessarily the kind of, you know, it's not necessarily... There's, the, there's no one kind of law, you know, no one kind... To some extent, you know, you might be the sort of person who thinks that the the legal world, you know, should you know uh, have be more be always having compassion in mind and all that sort of stuff. And for example, um, if you have an absolute proven, um, you, know, um, you know, the worst kind of criminal and all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, someone with the worst kind of politics and all that sort of stuff, you know. Like, uh, yeah, look, you know, Donald Trump trying to get out of his impeachment, for example, um, you know, you might disagree, given that Donald Trump's such a bad person, you know, in your mind, um, you might disagree with someone like this guy um, acting for Donald Trump and not caring whether he's guilty or not, but pulling out every legal technique he can, you know, while still staying within the boundaries of the law, um, to get Donald Trump off impeachment. You might be the sort of person who says, listen, you know, Donald Trump is so obviously a bad guy that um, he shouldn't have representation like that, you know, that anyone acting for him should... Um, should take into account that he's bad for America and a bad for the world and shouldn't try and get him off even, you know. But this guy is that other sort of lawyer who says that I will, even if I hate Donald Trump, and actually he turns out to be what he refers to as, uh, well, he's self-professed, you know, liberal Democrat uh, votes um, the other side, the votes for the Democrats. You know, but he says, when I'm acting for Donald Trump, I give him every bit of support I can. I argue his case, you know, even to the detriment of my own values. You know, this is what he was saying. You know, he shines like justice. This guy. Um, he acted all right. Some of the people he's acted for. Well, Bill Clinton. You know, he's acted for Bill Clinton, getting Bill Clinton off his impeachment, and Bill Clinton's on the other side of politics. All right. What do you think of a guy like this? You know, listener, as you're listening to this. You know, he acted for O.J. Simpson, who murdered his um, murdered his girlfriend, Nicole Brown, I think her name was. Um, yeah, what do you think about uh, lawyers who act 
before, uh, in the in the, in the Me Too sort of world that we have now, how do you feel about people who act um, for perpetrators of domestic violence, very bad ones, you know? Um, and, uh, for example, when witnesses come up, all the people who are accusing the domestic violence person, or not domestic violence person, but let's say you have, who have you got? Um, you know, your Bill Cosby or Rolf Harris types, you know, who've um, preyed upon woman after woman after woman. How do you feel about a lawyer who um, discredits, you know, who actively gets a team together to discredit all those women who tearfully are coming to the court to um, to uh, allege, you know, people like Rolf Harris or um, what's his name, Bill Cosby or whoever, you know, it doesn't matter who. Oh, Epstein, you know, um, that, that piece of shit, you know. How do you feel about, you know, if Epstein's got 20 accusers and uh, a lawyer like this one comes along and... Um, dismantles every single witness one at a time uh, for things that they've said in the past. You know, for example, if they've lied, let's say of those twenty witnesses, and I think this was the case. You know, let's say he knocks seventeen of them out straight away, and they all have been abused by Epstein. You know, and as a lawyer, he probably knows it. You know, um, how do you feel about this lawyer dismantling seventeen of them, and um, for you know lies they've told? in the past and he's dug those lies up and discredited them, you know, and there's only three lawyers left against Epstein, you know. Suddenly Epstein at one point had 20 witnesses um, against him and now he's only got three uh, because this lawyer has got 17 of those witnesses completely discredited and tore them to shreds, essentially, you know, on character grounds and all that sort of stuff. How do you feel about that guy? Well, you know, I'm starting actually to not like him very much myself. You know, that's me personally. That's the personal Charlie. Um, but um, this guy said, I don't, you know, this guy is giving the opinion that he doesn't care. Bad luck. I was called in to um, represent this Epstein fella. He actually was. Uh, you're probably starting to gather that this guy has represented people in some fairly major cases. I've already mentioned Donald Trump. Stein and Bill Clinton, and there is, a, and there was another one, O.J. Simpson. Yes, so he is—he's um, obviously ex ex an extremely high-profile lawyer. How do you feel about it? You know, should these sorts of lawyers exist? You know? Well, this guy robustly said, "Yes, we—I sh should exist." You know, um, and 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 the hard talk guy, Stephen, what's his name? You know, was hammering him, saying, "Hang on, you." You, you know, you tore these people, these witnesses, most of them, well, all of them, really, you know, victims, and you knew it. He said, of course I did. Now, what do you think about that guy? You know? um, and, and that was what the episode was about. Now, Stephen, what's his name, uh, did a good job in um, trying to pull the guy apart. You know, he pulled him apart a little bit on the fact that, you know, that if only if you're very wealthy, You've got access to a lawyer like this, and people who aren't very wealthy haven't got an access to a lawyer like this. So you know, justice isn't equal for all because you know you're obviously arguing for the Epstein's and the Clintons and the O.J. Simpsons and the Donald Trumps of this world. Um, so people who've got a lot of money have got access to this 
this great level of justice, you know. Um, and, um, you know, ordinary people haven't got access to that. And, you know, this lawyer might say, that's not my problem, you know. Get more lawyers like me then, you know. Um, put more lawyers through law courses. Give, give everybody access to lawyers like me then. You know, that's not my problem, he might say. You know, I'll do my best. You know, I've got the job as a high-profile lawyer. I'll do my job as well as I can. And if you think there should be thousands of lawyers like me acting for ordinary people, then you argue for that in, um, well, in Congress in his case, you know, because he's from America. Um, Stephen, what's his name, was from England. Um, I've got to go now, so I'll just, I'll, I'll just pull out one or two points that I heard. Um, in By the by, now, now look, that whole discussion is finished now. I've finished this episode. But um, I'm, 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 off, I'm, I'm rushing off to the bank now. But just before I do, uh, was there anything else? There was a couple of other things that um, stood out for me. Um, he was mentioning um, that he was, oh, at one stage, by the by, he was comparing the American system of impeaching um, presidents to the British and therefore Australian systems of, uh, you know, for, for us to get rid of somebody, like a prime minister or whatever, anyway, um, it's a vote of no confidence from the party room and all that sort of stuff. He said, all right, you've got one system um, where, uh, you know, someone can be kicked out on a vote of non-confidence, you know, and I think that might be 50-50 even, I'm not sure, um, in Australia or England or whatever. And he said, you know, in America, we deliberately didn't want that. You know, this is a salt and pepper shakers um, uh, thing. Uh, oh, when I'm with my GD, we get salt and pepper shakers and all and sugar bowls and everything on the table. And they're the institutions in a, you know, in a political system like Australia's or America's or England's, you know. So, you know, the, well, the salt might be the um, judiciary and the pepper might be the executive and the sugar might be the parliament, you know, or the whatever, you know. Um, anyway, so um, uh, so he said, and he just pointed that out, and that was just interesting to hear. That's all. That was just interesting to hear that um, there's a higher uh, bar that has to be jumped to get rid of a president in America, and that's a decision America made. Um, that I think it's two thirds or something like that of Congress have to. It's a long process, you know. First, you have to uh, actually uh, reach a threshold to even be impeached, you know, to be to, to even get to trial, you know, by Senate. Um, and then after that, you know, um, there has to be a two-thirds majority that vote, yes, we agree, you know, we hand down our verdict and the guy's impeached, you know what I mean? And that's why you don't get many, well, actually any, yes, yeah, our president's ever impeached. Um, whereas... Uh, in Australia and England, we have this other system where um, a vote of no confidence can knock a person off. And um, I don't know how that applies to the executive in Australia. Can we knock the Governor General off like that? I'm pretty sure the Parliament, look, you can check this for yourself, but I bet, you know, because our executive is the Governor General um, and the executive in um, America is the President. All right, our executive is the Governor General. I'm pretty sure our Parliament could. Um, return a vote of non-confidence, no confidence, in the Governor-General and he could be knocked off. You know, a simple majority perhaps? You know, you check that out for yourself if you, don't, if you even care. You probably know already, you know. I'm sure you, the listeners,
listener know more about politics than me. This is not an educational academic podcast. It's chat. Right. Um, so, um, and, uh, and this lawyer was saying, we didn't want that in America, you know. Now, in Australia and England, we clearly think our system is a pretty good idea. Well, not all of us, but I do. Um, and he said, we didn't want that. We've got a different system, and that's all I took away from that. You know that we've got different systems. Well, I knew that already, but it's nice to hear a little bit of detail. And that was the detail I heard. Um, now, um, oh, well, what about in England? Does it take more than a vote of no confidence to knock out the Queen? Um, I think a referendum is required to just get rid of the monarchy itself. But what about a, a, an individual Queen? How do you knock her off and get Charles in? You know, like Queen Elizabeth II. Let's say she just went rogue. Um, how do you knock her off and get Charles in? You know, can Parliament intervene there? Um, look, this lawyer was sort of indicating that uh, in England and Australia, uh, to a much greater extent, we in England and Australia, and probably Canada, whatever, um, our Parliament, the, the executive, is there at the whim of the Parliament. Parliament can knock him off with a vote of no confidence, you know. And he said in America they didn't want that. They wanted the people to decide, you know. So to get Donald Trump knocked off, really, in real, you know, realistically, you have to wait for the next election and let the people knock him off. And that's what he was saying. And he said, I believe in that sort of stuff. He said, that's shiny for me. You know, he was saying, that shines like justice for me. That shines like a good political system to me, he said, you know. Whereas here in Australia, no, we're happy to trust our legislators or our Senate or whoever, to knock off anybody, you know. So he said much more so in England or America, England or Australia. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know whether he was talking about a Prime Minister or, you know, a Governor-General or whatever, um, or even a Queen, whatever. Um, they're, they're more at the whim of the representatives in, in Parliament. Um, elected representatives, you know, they're, they're more at the whim of those guys. Whereas in America, it goes out to the people more. You know, that's what he was saying. Look, you can make sense of all that mess if you feel like. Okay. Um, all right. So, and that reminds me of Oliver Cromwell and all that. Does that go back to all of that? You know, the way we are in Australia and they are in England. You know, Oliver Cromwell pretty much um, bullied the monarchy. And Parliament, at some point, in, and this was the English Revolution, at some point, you know, before the English Revolution, um, the monarchy was ruling the people, and then there came a point in time where the Parliament just asserted power. You know, um, knocked a few heads off and all that sort of stuff, and um, Charles, whatever, uh, you know, lopped a few, you know, killed a few monarchs and all that and, um, and then suddenly... Um, the monarch was sitting there saying, have I got any power? And the parliament says, you should, yes, you've got as much power as we give you. You know? Um, you're there at our pleasure now. Um, we run your show now. You know, at some stage, to a certain extent. Now, I think um, it swung back a bit, you know, and some extra power moves across back into the monarch at some stage after the Oliver Cromwell period and all that sort of stuff. But... We've never lost that a bit, and um, the monarch there is pretty much, you know, says, 
how high when Parliament jumps. Still, you know, Queen Elizabeth II, um, even to this day, um, even to this day, is a bit frightened of Parliament, shall we say? Is that fair? And is definitely frightened of the people as well. She works for all of us. You know. um, she's frightened of the people because there could be a referendum tomorrow that knocks her off and you know, and brings in a republic, even in England, and she's got no say in that. She, she would have to just say, oh, bam, I lost my job, you know. You know does that sound like a, um, a monarch who rules? Well, of course it doesn't, you know. She's not ruling us. She, you know, she's there at our pleasure. She's, she's our monarch at our, you know, just because we feel like having her there, but we can knock her off tomorrow. Now, um, it's all that sort of, you know, there's that sort of um, subtlety between the American system and the Australian system. Okay, so that just clears some of that off up in my mind. Maybe not in yours, but in mine at least. Now, what else did he say? Was there anything else this guy said last night that um, piqued my interest? Uh, there was one other thing, and I don't know whether I'm going to remember it or not, because I listen to these things late at night when I'm sli half sleeping. I kind of wake up and the BBC World Service is in my ear, and I'm sleepily I come into some discussion and then fall asleep halfway through the discussion and I only get a sort of fragment or a vague idea of what's going on um, he did say something else now I'll waste your time again while I think of it um, in an ordinary podcast moments of silence like this dead spots are death you know because you've got to make a podcast exciting for the listener but I don't even want listeners you know I've, so I've got a lot of zen I don't even want listeners you know um, so I'm able to have these dead spots and not care and not be floating above all of that now he did say something else and this time I might forget what it was so who we're talking about this lawyer and it's on the BBC World Service Hard Talk and hang on it's coming to me I think and um, no actually I'm going to let a lot of silence go so I can sort of try and remember what it is because it was good, whatever he said. Um, no, can't remember. I'll add it uh, in about five minutes if it comes to me after I turn off. I'll go to the bank and maybe I'll remember in there. I'm just walking out of the bank and I've remembered what it was. Uh, Stephen What's-His-Name on the BBC World Service Hard Talk used that device that uh, a, a lot of people use uh, which is a valid device and um, he he did a little bit of research on this lawyer himself and um, and he said right you're saying now in 2021 that you believe XYZ it really doesn't matter what that XYZ is for the purpose of what I'm saying here now you know, I've, I've, I've left that I've left the um, substance of that episode behind now we've moved on to something else now in my episode here right he said in 2021 you say that you believe xyz and he said yes i do said this lawyer you know and he said you know and you're the most preeminent lawyer in america really you know is basically what he was getting at it turns out this lawyer uh you know, even though he came from a poor background and all that sort of stuff, working class background, something, um, turns out he was the youngest ever professor at Harvard. He, he was obviously an absolute megastar law student. 
you know. So, anyway, B, um, Steve, Stephen, what's his name, says, you say in 2021 you believe X, Y, Z. And this super lawyer says, yes, I do. And um, he said, all right, now, uh, I've got a record here of you back in, you know, I don't know when it was, but let's say 2010, you know, uh, saying A, B, C, you know, which does not agree with X, Y, Z. You know, oh no, he didn't put it like that. He said it, he put it in a more interesting way. He said, I've got a quote here from somebody back in, you know, let's say it was 2009. Um, and that quote reads like this, A, B, C, you know. Um, do you know who's made that quote? And the lawyer said, of course I do. And he said, well, who was it then? And he said, it was me. He said, all right, that's interesting, isn't it? Because in 2021 now, you say that you believe X, Y, Z. And back in um, 2009, you were saying that you believed ABC. And he said, yes, that's right. He said, I believed ABC and I stand by the fact that I believed ABC back in 2009 because that was based on how much research I had done at that point in time in my life. You know, I've done more research now. I'm older that's what scholars do, you know. They, uh, they believe uh, what they believe based on everything they've ever heard in their lives to that point. And um, they continuously change their minds throughout their lives as more research um, enters their heads. You know, as they do more research, they alter their beliefs. And he said that's actually good and proper. And he said, so you don't stand by what you said back in 2009. Stephen, what's his name, says, uh, you've got, you know, you, you've disagreed with yourself here. You know, back in 2009, you said ABC, and, and now in 2020, you're saying XYZ. He said, there's no conflict there, said the lawyer. Back in 2009, based on the research that I had done to that point, um, I believed ABC, and now I believe in XYZ, and that's good. That's what scholars do. He was absolutely unapologetic. Absolutely unapologetic, you know. He, he said in 2020, I'm not defined by what I, sa- what I said in 2009. In 2020, I'm defined, what about, I'm defined by what I believe in 2020. And in 2009, I was defined by what I said in 2009. There is no conflict, he said. That's the scholarly process. I really like that. I reckon, um, and um, uh, and then Stephen, what's his name? Very lamely, as much as I love Stephen, what's his name? Very lamely, he said. Well, it was very different what you said back there in two thousand and nine. Yeah, that's how he finished that bit. He brushed that bit off. You know, he said, "Well, all right then." He said, "But still, it was a very different thing you believed in two thousand and nine than you believed in two thousand and twenty." And the other guy met that comment with absolute silence. In other words, he was saying stiff shit, you know, stiff shit if it was very different, you know. That was my belief based on the research I had done at that time, and this is based on the research I have done by now. And I kind of agree with that, you know. You're not accountable for what you say in 2009. Uh, if, If that's in conflict with what you believe in 2020, that's the very definition of a scholar. I agree with him on that. I like that, you know. If I held beliefs myself in 2009 and they are different than the beliefs um, I, I, um, 
I have in 2020, well, to some extent, I admire myself more than someone who goes through his or her entire life holding consistent um, belief systems, you know, consistent opinions. Anybody, I'm going to pursue this for a second. Right. You know, people say, look, when you were 20, um, you said X, you know, and now... And then when you were 40, you held the belief of Y, and now at 60, you have the belief of Z, you know, you're not consistent, you're all over the shop. And, um, and I say, well, look at you, you know. At um, 20, you believed in A, and at 40, you believed in A, and now at 60, you believe in A, you know. Um, which of us, you know, who would I rather be? Well, I'd rather be the guy that's changing, you know, as he experiences life and goes through life and, you know, is evolving into different, you know, different people as he gets older. Do you know what? We're all different people. No, not all of us. Some of us are the same person right through our lives. You know, as a child, um, you sing all those songs, I believe in Jesus, you know, and he, you know, he died for my sins and they keep saying that till they die. They don't move at all, you know. Then you get other people, you know, they start off, you know, saying all their prayers when they're children and then they go through a phase when they're about 18 and they completely throw away God and become atheists, you know. And, and then they become socialists, you know. And then, you know, by the time they get to 40 or 50, suddenly they're um, conservatives, you know. And they've actually gone back to their religion a little bit, you know. And they've even dabbled in a few other religions as well. Um, is this a person who's all, all over the shop or is this a person getting a lot out of life? Yeah, I prefer the latter, you know. Um, so that's all for that. Um, but that guy just got me thinking along those lines. The lawyer in that episode got me thinking along those lines. An inconsistent person uh, can be um, uh, can be more worth listening to than a consistent person. So what if you're inconsistent? Just means you're a little bit more scholarly, perhaps. Does it not? You know, that's the way he put it, the lawyer. You know, this is the scholarly, uh, the scholarly pr- approach, he said to change your mind. It's not a weakness. Aha, this is what he was getting at. He said, you're trying to, you know, what he was inferring is Stephen, what's his name, was um, almost claiming that he'd found a chink in this lawyer's armour because he found an inconsistency in what the lawyer was saying between 2009 and 2021. And the lawyer came back at him beautifully and said, oh, you call that, an inc- you call that a weakness, do you? You think you found a chink in my armour? Guess what? I'm calling it a strength. The fact that I changed my mind. I'm calling it a strength. You think it's a weakness? It's a strength. You know, find a go go back and do another six hours of research and you'll find even more inconsistencies in what I've said over the years and bring them back to me and I'll say thank you. You know, you've you know, you found even you found more strengths in my approach. You know, by doing all that you did all that work thinking you were finding weaknesses in my approach. Well, guess what? You have found more strength in my approach because I changed my mind. And that, that makes me strong. You know, that's, that's a strength. Okay, that's that.